This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time once again for instant analysis here on the Bama Online Podcast, this time following the Alabama Crimson Tides. 52 to 49 defeat at the hands of the Tennessee Volunteers at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville on Saturday afternoon. The Crimson Tide, for the first time since 2006, tastes defeat on the third or fourth Saturday in October, depending on the year, I guess. But Alabama, too many mistakes, especially early in the football game as it falls behind 28 to 10 there in the second quarter. A rush to take the lead at 35-34 in the third, and then into the final stanza they would go. 32 combined points from Tennessee and Alabama in the fourth quarter, and ultimately in those final four moment minutes of the game, certainly a lot could be deducted from how this game played out right there in those final four minutes. I wrote about this in my five predictions revisited for the game. Kind of felt like Texas A&M a little bit in that regard, understanding, officiating probably too much, not probably, officiating uh, certainly uh, was a big, big part of the football game, but still, Alabama with 17 penalties. We thought 15 penalties at Texas was maybe the tipping point. It was not. Alabama was able to overcome 15 penalties for 100 yards in Austin. It wasn't able to overcome 17 penalties for 130 yards, and that's understanding controversy, especially late in the game. You had what looked to be a game-sealing interception for Kool-Aid McKinstry off a deflection by Malachi Moore. It was ruled. It seemed late it was ruled that Malachi Moore interfered on the play there with the I think it was the Tennessee tight end, right? Princeton Fant on the play. And so Malachi is flagged for P.I. The play comes back, and at that point, you kind of figured Tennessee was going to take advantage of that situation, and the Vols did just that. Didn't take long. What a game for Jalen Hyatt. You know, Jalen Hyatt, in going for 207 yards on five touchdowns on just six catches, Jalen Hyatt looked like one of the Alabama wide receivers from the last four or five or six years, didn't he? He looked like the guy Alabama doesn't have this season, but has had really since 2012. Since Amari Cooper, Alabama has always had that guy. And for now, it doesn't. And we'll talk more about that coming up. Although I would like to say, and I will talk about this later, I think Alabama's younger receivers in the game did give you reason for optimism if you're an Alabama fan. But Hyatt, clearly the star of this game to go along with his quarterback, Hendon Hooker. One of our five predictions for the game was that Hooker would attempt 30 or more passes in the game. He attempted 30. And that's all he needed to pass for 385 yards and five touchdowns. He was intercepted once by DeMarco Hellams. Um, So Hooker was devastatingly effective in the way of explosive plays. That's what this Tennessee offense is about in large part. Not totally, but they like to spread the field. They like to go with that 
warp speed tempo and get you out of sorts, get you out of position, get you in some personnel mismatches and personnel package mismatches. And that was kind of the chess match going into the game because there was a lot of talk about Alabama's cheetah package this week. And I talked about since Monday that no, this wasn't a week for Alabama's cheetah package because Tennessee runs the ball effectively enough, ran for 260-plus against LSU last week, that you weren't going to be able to put five linebackers on the field to open a possession for the Tennessee offense, unless you just wanted to get it run down your throat. So with Tennessee going at such a high rate of speed on offense, that makes subbing. You can't just sub freely on defense unless the offense is subbing. That gives you the opportunity to sub. And we know this Josh Heupel offense at Tennessee doesn't do that. So the cheetah package was never was never going to be a big part of this. And yeah, absolutely you would have loved for it to have been that. Because Alabama in the game, just one sack. And by the way, if I gave you the sack pool and said, here's your choices, how many of you would have had in a game in which Alabama had just one sack, DJ Dale? Uh, in your sack pool. I don't I don't think many of you would, but that's where Alabama's lone sack came from in the game. Just two tackles for loss. Alabama defensively, and we can talk about the penalties and I know we will. And, and, and certainly there there were questionable situations in this game. But one sack, two tackles for loss, and Alabama was not credited with a quarterback hurry. Now there were some instances I thought there was pressure, like DeMarco Hellams's interception. I don't know if that was an outright quarterback hurry there in the third quarter of Hooker, but he definitely got pressure up into his face, and that helped force the high throw that Hellams was able to pick. So take that stat with a grain of salt, as we like to say on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. But all in all, Tennessee controlled the lines of scrimmage. We can talk about flags. We can talk about Alabama's mistakes, and there were certainly plenty. From the opening kickoff, there were mistakes. You had a block in the back on the opening kickoff return for Alabama. You had a catastrophic mistake on the punt return team with Q Robinson inexplicably trying to pick up a football that was dead. It was dead with Alabama in good position there. Uh, and he makes that mistake, and Tennessee cashes in on it. So, right, look, I don't want to get into total blame game because, believe it or not, there were some really impressive performances from the Alabama side of things, starting with Bryce Young, a 455-yard passing outing for Bryce Young, coming off a shoulder injury. And what may have impressed me about Bryce the most was that he was laying it on the line in the second half. He was taking the football and running when he had to and taking some big shots, some cringeworthy shots. And those were just plays outside the pocket. Inside the pocket, he was taking some questionable at best shots up around the neck and head. Now, I know, and I get it, fans were sort of up in arms, especially those in crimson and white, about some of those hits that Bryce took, including one that looked to be Pretty much textbook targeting from uh, Omari Thomas, the defensive tackle for Tennessee uh, in the game. Of course, it was reviewed and, and, and not deemed to be targeting. But it just continues to amaze me. And I won't go on this side rant for too long because I've said it many times. Really going back to 
gosh, it may have been the 2018 Ole Miss game. One of those games, Tua going into the end zone, he's three or four yards into the end zone on a scoring run, just gets blasted, and there's no call. The, the point being, the college game doesn't give a crap about the quarterback position. Not certainly like the NFL. You watch the NFL and you saw some calls from last week and uh, into the early stages of this week and you know guys like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and, and how they're protected. Uh, that's not the case in college football. And, and Bryce took some big, big shots. And not just shots up around the head and the neck, but shots that were, by the NFL rule, late. You would never get away with those hits. But we take care of the professionals, but the college kids, well, good luck. You're going to be brutalized. And it's not just Bryce. That's the reason why I've been on this tangent. Watch college football. Hell, watch high school football and watch what's allowed with quarterbacks and really player safety in general, if we're being honest. But I just thought it was a tremendous performance for a number of reasons from Bryce Young. There weren't many reasons why Alabama should have won that game Saturday. Bryce Young was absolutely one of them. And I would also add Jameer Gibbs into that mix. Now you look at Jameer's numbers and it wasn't the dynamic performance for Gibbs, but toughness, ball security, some of those things that you don't think about as much with a guy who rips off runs of 60, 70 yards like Jameer Gibbs does. That was a physical, physical football game Saturday. And Jameer Gibbs, when you want to talk about translating to the next level, which I know no one's worried about right now, I think he may have impressed NFL people as much, not so much even just with his versatility. They already knew that about him. They already knew that you know, at any time he can he can hit the home run. I think what they were impressed by as much as anything was he showed he can take a pretty good pounding, and he did just that in taking on those 24 carries for 103 yards and three rushing touchdowns. And you talk about stat lines really similar to Brian Robinson from a year ago, which if you're Tennessee, you're okay with that because – Brian was, as we've talked about throughout the week, a phone booth sort of operator. You know, he was going to get his four, five, six. With Jameer, you're trying to limit the 30 pluses. And Jameer, while he did have a carry of 26 yards in the game Saturday, it certainly wasn't the sonic boom that we had heard in some previous weeks. So Jameer Gibbs goes over 100 yards in the game. I said we'd talk about some of these receivers for Alabama. I thought Kobe Prentice was impressive. His stat line doesn't really blow you away. The nine catches are impressive, 66 yards. He had a long catch of 14. But I thought he was as dependable as any receiver Alabama probably had. Ja'Cory Brooks I'd put in there too. Ja'Cory six for 79 uh, in a touchdown. Um, too many drops still. And, and it wasn't as bad as, say, uh, some previous weeks. But just in terms of guys that at this point should not be dropping the football on a weekly basis. And they still are doing that. Or guys who aren't always running the right route. Like, the final possession of the game for Alabama leading up to Will Reichard's miss from 50 yards out. That obviously wasn't what Bryce Young and Jermaine Burton had working there. Somebody messed up. Now, maybe it was Bryce. 
but on a third down play like that, that wasn't even close. So those type of miscommunications in general, you really shouldn't be seeing that six games into the season, especially where veteran players are involved. But guys like Kobe Prentice, guys like Ja'Cory Brooks, guys like Isaiah Bond, good to see JoJo Earl once again. It was just one catch. Uh, you know, that's that. those are some things that you can live with from some of these younger guys uh, as you continue to try to ramp up. Maybe Kendrick Law gets more involved here in the not-too-distant future. And that's not to say throw everything out after one loss because obviously Alabama still has everything on the table and just like a year ago following a divisional loss to Texas A&M which compounded things in 2021 this is a non-divisional loss to Tennessee it stings from the perspective of when you think about it as an Alabama player and your legacy you're the first team to lose to Tennessee. Now, somebody was going to lose to Tennessee, so it isn't the worst thing in the world, but this is one you got to take with you uh, as the first Saban team to lose to Tennessee in 16 attempts. But there are still some positives moving forward. There is still plenty that this team can achieve. There is the pieces that you need to uh, achieve those things, similar to a year ago when Alabama won out to the college football playoff national championship game. But... You know, the continuation of the kind of mistakes that we see in all three phases. Now, you can kind of point to the defense, certainly. You give up 385 passing yards and five touchdowns on just 30 attempts. Uh, That tells you, again, you weren't good enough on the back end, and you certainly weren't good enough in terms of pass rush. And you credit Tennessee for the way it plays offense and the guy that it has pulling the trigger to go along with some receivers that really stepped up. Hey, all this happened Saturday with no Cedric Tillman on the field for Tennessee. And Tennessee ran the ball much more effectively. When I said earlier that Tennessee, I thought, controlled the line of scrimmage throughout the game and that Alabama never really was able to do that, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, When you think of Alabama football, even with Bryce Young, you're thinking fourth quarter with a lead, this is where the Alabama run game ices things. Alabama rushing yards in the fourth quarter Saturday against Tennessee, two. So if you're wondering why Alabama in that situation, what is it, Tennessee 32 there before Rikers field goal, and I know Nick was asked about this, Throwing the ball three straight times, I guess it was there at the thirty-two, and I and 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 I can see both sides of this because when the ball got to the thirty-two, I'm still such a believer in Will Reichard. I'm thinking, okay, you, you don't need to get in the end zone here, but if you could get seven or eight, even that would really help ease his mind. Maybe instead of saying, "Hey, go kick a fifty-yarder to win the game." And he's capable of that. The kick had the distance. It's just been a situation where I think he's had four misses here in the last three or four games or so. And three of them have been out to the right, especially uh, those that have been maybe of of, of more distance. Um, 53 at Arkansas was out wide right. And then it was almost an identical kick against Tennessee. Uh, the the third one, and he made two in the game. So uh, he he didn't look shaky at any point in the game. Uh, if anything, the Tennessee field goal that went through gave me a Jamie Christensen Cotton Bowl flashback from January two thousand six, and you know the kicker for 
Tennessee also missed an extra point. So you're still thinking in that situation, we're good at the 32 because this guy can bang it home from 50. But still, I would have liked to have seen 7-8, even if you don't get the first down, get the ball to about the 25. Then you're looking at 42-43, and uh, the chances of that probably go up significantly. But Alabama wasn't able to do much. He had a play there on second down where it looked like Bryce hit Jameer. Um, Yeah, I guess. I thought it was a catchable ball. I don't know if Jameer was anticipating something while he was in the act of catching it or it was hot or whatever, but it seemed like if Jameer catches that ball, he had a lot of room to work, and Jameer don't need a lot of room to work, so who knows what happens if he catches that ball, but he's not able to come up with it, and then you have the third down waste of a play involving the the incompletion to Jermaine Burton, and then you miss the field goal, but no, I would have liked to have seen just six or seven yards there. You know, to can they maybe change the mindset or ease the mindset a little bit of what you're asking this guy to accomplish? And look, Will Riker doesn't need me to make any excuses for him. I'm, I know Will tell you right now, I got to make that kick. You know, he makes those kicks all the time. And so uh, he made one from 50 the previous week against Texas A&M. So it's certainly something Alabama feels confident with him doing. Uh, it just for whatever reason, just stayed out a little right on him. But, yeah, the Tennessee offense, when we talk about the run game, there was a big difference in that from a year ago when Tennessee rushed for 65 yards in Tuscaloosa. It didn't really rip off anything big. Hooker hurt Alabama with his legs. Um, and, and again, it kind of goes back to that conundrum that Alabama was in defensively. When you talk about, okay, if we go lighter in the box and they're going to spread us out with four wide receivers, a tight end and three wide receivers, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to maybe struggle a little bit against the run. And that was the battle that Pete Golding was battling. That was the fight he was in from a schematic perspective. And more so this year because Alabama really wants to have Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on the field as much as possible together. And a year ago against Tennessee, it was more of three defensive linemen, and some of this may have had to do even with the health of Dallas Turner and uh, Drew Sanders at the time. It may have been that they didn't have as much of a choice between going more with three DLs and Will Anderson to open possessions for Tennessee. Uh, And this year they had those opportunities with Anderson and Turner, and they went with it a lot. And so they were light a little bit against the run game on early downs. And then because Hooker and Jalen Hyatt are just torching the back end of the defense and Alabama's not getting enough pressure anyway, Alabama goes with more dime. That's when you saw Malachi Moore come into the game. It really didn't matter because start of the fourth quarter, Malachi's in there and Hyatt hits for the 78-yarder there to give uh, Tennessee the lead back at 42-35. to So, Alabama's adjustment was to go more dime, which in turn left them even more exposed in the run game. 
Uh, but I, it's something I, I I get it. I get why they they did it because they're just getting ripped. You know, they're in situations where just like the Tennessee game last year. You know, it was they got away with it last year because Daniel Wright got put in some real binds in coverage as a safety last year, and he paid for it. And then we saw it with Demarco Hellams in the game on Saturday night. Brian Branch. You know, it really wasn't just one guy. I thought the corners were okay. But it was really because Tennessee was looking to get those matchups on safeties and our sub-personnel defensive backs. And they were largely successful in that. Terry and Arnold had one play where after the catch, I believe, I think it was Jalen Hyatt or maybe it was Ramil Keaton. One of the two caught a little in-breaking type route and then – did this sudden change of direction back to the outside. And Tarion just couldn't flip his hips quick enough and gave up a ton of yards after the catch. But otherwise, it was largely in the middle of the field. And that's just not something you typically see from a defense, let alone a Nick Saban-Pete Golding defense, to give up those kind of chunks in the final 15 seconds of the game. And at some point, with the experienced guys Alabama has on that back end, Boy, I mean, we went long stretches Saturday with some of these guys not really showing up or not being a big part of things. Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, they both take the bagel when it comes to sacks and quarterback hurries in the game. And so the Stars didn't really show up on the defensive side for Alabama in a lot of ways. It's easy to kind of point to some of the sub-package guys and um, some others, but it was a complete um, complete shortcoming, we will say, for Alabama on the defensive side. And, and again, I, I think even in terms of the run defense, it, it wasn't good enough. Um, you know, I, I didn't think the, the inside linebackers brought a lot of punch and, and again, that's understanding you're already a little light in the box in some situations, but it goes back to the era of football we're playing too. Uh, it, it's okay if you've got inside backers and you're playing against Mississippi State or some of these teams and they're so damn good in coverage that you don't have to worry about still defending the run. You know, you don't have to have a Rolando McClain in those type of situations. But you know when you needed a Rolando McClain? On Saturday. A sort of 235, 240 ass kicker right there in the middle of your defense that could limit some of these runs to two yards instead of five or six. They add up. Too much yards after contact for guys like Jabari Small and also Jalen Wright and even Hendon Hooker. So. Again, plenty to talk about for the Alabama defense coming up here. You know, I had my concerns about this defense even after the win over Texas A&M. I was told by more than a few people on the roundtable, oh, no, no, no. It was all on the offense. The offense put them in such bad situations. I don't disagree with that. But the offense didn't put them in such bad situations against essentially a backup quarterback playing without one of his top playmakers and Anaya Smith that you shouldn't get off the field and force some field goals. And that cropped up. You go and play against an elite offense, and that's what Tennessee is. Credit to Tennessee. And you get your picture took like the Alabama defense did on Saturday. So Alabama 
Going to head into next Saturday's matchup with Mississippi State. That should be very interesting. The Bulldogs, uh, as I record this, uh, have been one of the success stories of late, anyway, in the SEC. That air raid offense of Mike Leach. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of carryover from Mississippi State to uh, to Tennessee. And I'm looking at the score right now. Kentucky is up 27-17 to on Mississippi State with 350 left in the game. So it looks like Mississippi State will limp into Tuscaloosa. And so if you're looking at this from a divisional matchup perspective, this is going to be loss number two for Mississippi State. You know, Ole Miss, it wasn't always pretty, I guess, on Saturday. Ah, the weather, a big problem in Oxford as well. But when you start projecting ahead, LSU on the road, Ole Miss and Oxford, you know, this team still got a couple of road trips that it, it can become a lot tougher if they don't play the way they're capable of playing. You, you can't go anywhere and have 17 penalties. And again, that's understanding the officiating Saturday. It wasn't great. You know what, though? It wasn't great on the pass interference call against Tennessee in the end zone either, was it? I mean, was that pass interference on Tennessee? I mean, I give Ja'Cory Brooks a lot of credit. (laughs) He basically sold that FIFA style, you know, Premier League soccer style. And good on him, man. That was another big play by Ja'Cory Brooks. And a great play by Bryce to keep the play alive, to give it a chance to happen in the first place. But... Here's the thing. With Bryce Young, you got a chance against any team you play. And as long as he's able to stay healthy and in the lineup, that will continue to be the case for Alabama. The problem is it seems like a lot of the people around him like to up the degree of difficulty on a weekly basis. You know, the summation at this point for this Alabama team isn't what most of us anticipated seven games into the season. It's more about Bryce Young and everybody else and some Jameer Gibbs. I will say that. Jameer Gibbs. And then from there, you know, it's it's about anybody's guess. Now, typically you're going to expect Will Anderson to have more of a presence than he had against Tennessee. Same for Dallas Turner, guys like that. But in the big moments on Saturday, penalties aside, all that aside, when guys needed to step up and make some plays, and yes, Dallas Turner did have the scoop and score there in the fourth quarter. I mean, we'll all agree, though, right? That was a gift. That was a mishandle by Hooker in the back that put it right there on the field. And look, Brian Branch, quick whistle got him on what looked to be a strip and another potential takeaway there in the fourth quarter. So the breaks didn't go Alabama's way. We understand that. But Alabama also got into its own way in addition to Tennessee doing things that exposed Alabama in some ways. So a lot still to play for for this Alabama team. Can it get out of its own way enough to take advantage of the opportunities that are still in front of it? Biggest problem you have with Saturday's loss, forget about the series streak and all that. That was that was going to end at some point. I know, newsflash, right? It wasn't going to last forever for the remainder of time. Biggest thing you lost in that game was potentially a buffer to get to Atlanta undefeated, and then should you lose in the SEC championship game, you still find your way into the college football playoff. That's what Alabama lost in terms of big picture. 
potentially, on Saturday, as much as anything. Everything else, in terms of its destiny, is still in its control. And even if it had run the table to Atlanta undefeated and then lost, that isn't something that it perhaps would have controlled based on the selection committee and those things. But I'm going to guess if Alabama had won that game against Tennessee and gets to Atlanta and then loses a competitive game against Tennessee or Georgia, Alabama's in the college football playoff. Now you are in, uh, in officially, I would say, uh, survive, uh, survive in advance. Now, you might still be able to lose one of these division games and still get to, to Atlanta. I doubt that. You know, I, I wouldn't think Ole Miss is going to be in a position where um, it's going to lose more than two SEC games. You know, as you know, Ole Miss right now, first place in the SEC West. So I, I wouldn't think that would be the case. I, I, maybe Ole Miss loses a game before it gets to Alabama in November. But even if that's the case, it will control its destiny for Atlanta in Oxford if both those teams have one loss in that matchup. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, all right? Let's work through it. Big week coming up at BamaOnline.com. That's right, back to divisional play. The Mississippi State Bulldogs coming to Tuscaloosa. Doesn't look like the dogs. We'll see. Still a little time left in Lexington, I guess. But trailing by 10 at last check uh, to Kentucky. Hey, good for Arkansas, too, man. Went out to Provo and put a 52 spot on the Cougars of BYU. Georgia, as expected, with a number on Vanderbilt. And so uh, there you go. You got Florida and LSU down in the swamp. Best thing about that, wow. How about that? 45-35 final from Gainesville. And that was Tom Petty Day down at the swamp. So I don't know if I like that. I don't like seeing Tom Petty Day and like that. But uh, the Gators... Outscored 17-14 in the second half and really 35-7 to there in the second and third quarters as, you know, there's LSU still live in the divisional race there out in the West. Thanks again for joining us here on Instant Analysis. More coverage at BamaOnline.com. Tim Watts, Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, myself, Hank South with the recruiting coverage as well. We've got you covered wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling. You name it, right there at BamaOnline.com. It's also the Bama Online Podcast. If you wouldn't mind, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated as well. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.